We have an exciting partnership to announce before we get into today's Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt has been asked to join Reads Across America Radio, a 24-7 internet radio station where you can listen to veteran stories 24-7. Uh, you can find that on the iHeartRadio app. You can also find it on their website, readsacrossamerica.org. The Scuttlebutt will be featured Friday nights at 9 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you don't know anything about Reads Across America, they're an incredible organization, all dedicated to honoring veterans uh, and, and those who uh, gave all in service to our country. Check out the Scuttlebutt on their radio station and all the other programs that they have on their 24-7 radio station, again, on iHeartRadio app or readsacrossamerica.org. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. You can find out everything there is to know about the Veterans Breakfast Club on our website, www.veteransbreakfastclub.org. Today's episode of The Scuttlebutt focuses on the Leader Transition Institute. They are a 501c3 nonprofit, and their mission is to prepare and walk beside people who are making pivots in their lives, especially uh, service members, veterans, and their spouses who are transitioning from active military service to the civilian sector. They have a wonderful program called Changing Focus, uh, which is a holistic four-day program that helps you to refocus your life uh, and find uh, yourself again as you're coming out of your military service, finding out what your passions are and helping you along that journey. Uh, we have both on the president and CEO, Annie Bay, and one of her board members, Jose Velasquez, who also took the program. Um, they have just wonderful things to say about it. And I can't speak enough about the two of them and their passion for helping veterans. Uh, it's a really, really wonderful organization. Um, I hope that you enjoy this episode and please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org with any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. Um, but I hope that you enjoy this episode focused on Leader Transition Institute. Enjoy the show. Joining me today are Annie Brock and Jose Velasquez uh, from the Leader Transition Institute. Really excited to dive into the conversation, find out everything there is to know about LTI. Uh, but first, I'd love to hear a bit about both of your services. I'd love for you to introduce yourselves. Uh, Annie, I'd love for you to go first. Thank you for joining the, the Scuttlebutt. Well, thank you for having us today, Sean. I really appreciate it. So as Sean said, I'm Annie Brock. I am the president and CEO of the Leader Transition Institute. We're a 501c3 organization based in Maryland, serving globally, helping people to get from where they are to where they want to be, with a special emphasis on service members, veterans, and military spouses. So what I have to say about who I am and what I do is that all the things I've done and experienced so far in my life, I've come together, finally, and the result is the Leader Transition Institute. I love what I do and the people I do it with. I'm also a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend and mentor, and not at all least, a Grammy. I've jumped out of airplanes, flown helicopters, homeschooled my two daughters, and owned four other small businesses. But most importantly, I live my purpose every day of my life to excite, inspire, and help people to look beyond their circumstances to see their possibilities and to take action to make their dreams become their reality. Excellent. And I want to dive into some of your service as well, Annie. Uh, you were in the Army. Um, you were one of the first 100 women assigned to the 82nd Airborne. I want to hear about yes, jumping out of airplanes and flying helicopters as well. Uh, we'll get to that in just a sec. Jose, thank you so much for joining the Scuttlebutt. Love for you to introduce yourself. Thanks as well uh, for the opportunity to be here on the Scuttlebutt. 
So my name is Jose Velasquez. I am a recent transitionee, I guess if you consider three years recent. <laughs> and I might have invented the word transitionee, but it sounded cool. Um, <laughs> I uh, left the Army after a 30-year career as a public affairs and communications professional. I worked in broadcasting most of my career, really enjoyed it. Uh, for any of the folks who are on the other end of this camera uh, watching this, it, for any, especially veterans who served overseas and remember the armed forces, radio and television service, uh, the really bad commercials that we used to have on there, I I'm guilty of creating some of those. Uh, and I also worked in radio. Uh, as I transitioned, I'm actually uh, a board member of LTI, but in addition to that, before I ever became a board member, I was a student in the class with Annie, and her program really changed the trajectory of my career, my life as I transitioned. You know, one of the things that they don't tell you when you're transitioning from the military is how different the perspective is uh, that you have to have if you intend to succeed. There's a lot of programs out there that do a lot of great things. But what I've noticed is most of them boil down to one thing, getting a job. Hmm. LTI doesn't do that. The changing focus, moving from we to me program, focuses on helping you better understand yourself so that you can figure out what it is that you want to do long term. And that changes everything. You know, I understand that the median time frame for people to be at jobs after they leave the service is really short. And especially for service members as they transition, that first job is rarely the right fit. Sometimes it is, but rarely is the right fit. And this program really helped me figure that out. Now, in my case, uh, I loved broadcasting and I missed it. Uh, you know, I became management halfway through my career and you know how that goes, right? You're behind a desk. It wasn't <laughs> as fun. So then I, I turned around and got back into broadcasting. I'm a radio host for a radio station that plays the best music of the 80s and 90s. Very much love it and happy to talk more about that in depth. But in addition to that, I started a small business um, with the support and guidance of Annie and her team. And I feel like I'm moving in a direction that really helps me fill my passions as I turn around and help lift others up as they go through their transition as well. Jose, we uh, will definitely actually do a one-on-one uh, -on -one scuttlebutt uh, that I'm really excited by because uh, your background in broadcasting uh, and with the Army, uh, we don't nearly have enough time to talk about both of your services. Um, but Jose, we're gonna we're gonna have a one-on-one. -on -one, so for our listeners, uh, look for that in a future scuttlebutt episode. Um, Annie, I want to I want to jump back to you. When did you enlist and why? <laughs> oh, now the truth is going to come out. Because you're going to find out how old I am. Uh, so I enlisted in the Army in January of 1979. I had finished college uh, with a plan of going to uh, Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and getting a job in a, a senator's office, the senator from New Hampshire. I had done an internship with him uh, the, the summer uh, two summers before, and he had promised me a job when I graduated. What happened, though, was that the senior senator retired and the junior senator took on all his staff and there wasn't there weren't any positions. So I was pounding the pavement in Washington every day looking for a job, filling out job applications. Uh, and I was staying with some friends of my father's in uh, Virginia and every day I passed an army recruiting office. Yeah. And to me that was familiar um, territory because I was a military kid. And uh, so I went in one day to talk to them. 
and they <laughs> was right for the picking. I took the test. Uh, they they talked to me the first day. I took the test the second day, and they told me I could have almost any job in the army I wanted because I scored so high. And so we talked about computers because I had learned uh, to computer to do computer programming in college. And I knew that uh, computers were in big air conditioned buildings. So I thought that was a safe place for me to be. Uh, and so uh, they, they told me I could be a telecommunications center operator. I missed the word combat at the beginning of that. But anyway, I was all excited. I went back the third day and did my physical. And the fourth day, I left for basic training. What was basic like for you? Oh. <laughs> You know, I was uh, the original Private Benjamin. They could have made the movie uh, about my experience in basic training. I arrived with my nice little suitcase of clothes, and which was promptly taken away from me, and uh, enlisted uh, at um, in an Army recruiting facility at Fort Meade. That's where I raised my right hand. I can remember bursting out into hysterical tears afterwards until asking if it could be undone. And they told me no. And then they put me and about 25 other people on a train in Baltimore and sent us off, told me that because I was an E3, uh, the most senior of the group because of my college degree, that I was in charge and that if anybody didn't make it to Fort Jackson, I would be in trouble. But then we were scattered across the train. So there was no way, and it was an overnight train. There was no way I was gonna know uh, what was happening and I was scared. We were at Fort Jackson long enough to get our uniforms and, uh, and all our equipment and long enough for the IG to show up the next day. And so that my very first night in a facility in the army, I learned to work a buffer. Uh, and <laughs> we went to for, um, from Fort Jackson. We went to Fort Gordon uh, because they had what was called one station unit training back then. And I went for basic training and my technical training at the same place, which was Fort Gordon. They took us by bus, and uh, and when we got to the um, the actual area of the installation where we were going to do our training, I can remember they had all our duffel bags on. Um, in the back of a big deuce and half. And we got off the bus and they started throwing bags on the um, on the ground and you had to, to get your bag. And I can remember one fellow trainee's bag bursting open and pink foam rollers went everywhere. <laughs> and they asked, whose were they? And she didn't fess up. And that was where I learned about, that was my first big experience with teens because we all did push-ups for a very long time. And so uh, we were in the old Quonset huts. They probably torn down now, you know, the, the old half style, you know, metal, metal buildings, the Quonset huts, there was an inch and a half minimum between the bottom of the door and the floor. And that winter it snowed at Fort Gordon. Mm -hmm. And I learned to low crawl around the barracks uh, in my uniform with my M16 in, in my arms when when somebody screwed up, that was our punishment. Uh, and at, in the evening again, I was responsible for the women in, in our barracks. And uh, I didn't know that women fought. And so I, I had my eyes opened about that in the evening because things kind of went wild. And there was one woman, it seemed like 
three nights a week, her underwear was stolen when she went to take a shower. I mean, the things you remember, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and the things that I learned about people, uh, it was, I, I didn't have, I remember, um, I didn't have a hard time learning to make my bed because that was one of the strict things. You had to make your bed nice and tight. Mm -hmm. But my father had taught me to make my bed. In fact, if I um, didn't make my bed before I left the house, uh, that was a major faux pas in, in our home. And so uh, I think that was the thing I, besides, you know, I remember from the very beginning, I was good at making my bed that saved me. Um, one of those adjustment things. So, so if you was, have any, any an advice experience. for somebody joining, you just say, learn how to make a bed and that'll at least ease some pain in the, in the get-go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and we had to fold our socks. I don't know what they do in the other services, but in the army, we had to fold each sock up into a little roll and then um, fold the top of the sock up. Um, and by the end, it looked like a little um, a hot dog bun. And my husband was in the Air Force for 23 years and we've been married for 35 years and he still does not know how to fold my socks right. I don't fold them like that anymore, but I fold my little, you know, ankle socks. I fold them very neat and they're very flat so that they can stack up very nicely in my drawer. And I, I can't help but think that that's a remnant from basic training. <laughs> it's gotta be, um, you know, and we're going to fast forward here just to touch into your, into your service, but how did you get to the point of jumping out of airplanes and flying uh, helicopters? Well, in the um, in the negotiation of my contract part back in that Army recruiter's office, uh, after we chose what I wanted to do, um, then I was asked where I wanted to go. And the last place that I remembered um, as a military kid was Fort Bragg. That was where my father was assigned when um, when he retired. And I, he, he was a, an instructor in the Army Special Warfare School. And we used to go out on weekends and watch him do fun jumps. So I was telling the recruiter about this. Okay, I, yes, I'll go to uh, Fort Bragg. I remember this and this and this. And, he, and uh, jump school had opened up in the last year or something um, to women at that point. He said, well, do you want to go to jump school? And I said, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. That's how I got to jump school. <laughs> what was the first, what was your first jump like? Was it terrifying or was it exhilarating? That's a whole nother story. Jump school is a three-week class. It took me nine weeks to finish it. I never failed anything, but I got hurt. I got sick. There were cycle breaks. And when I got to my first jump, I did a very poor PLF, a PLF, a parachute landing fall or PLF. Um, you have five points of contact. And I changed that. I left out four. I added in one. So I had three um, and I landed on my feet, my butt and my head. And I dented my, I hit my head so hard. I dented my helmet. Uh, oh my goodness. And, <laughs> and, um, but I was, I, I knew at that point that I really needed to finish. So I gathered up my parachute. I stuffed it all in my kit bag. I attached my reserve to it. I threw it up over my head and shoulders and ran off the drop zone. Uh, you um, get on the plane at Fort Benning, Georgia, and you land on the drop zone in Alabama. So they bust us back to the parachute shed in um, in Georgia at Fort Benning. It's not called something else today. I'm not sure what I, I don't have the name, all the names straight, but uh, it's, oh, I, and it's a really special name too, because it's named after a couple. I have to look that up. It's, it's what, it's that base that was named after a couple. 
because of her contributions to military life. Um, and so anyway, I was standing there all rigged up for my second jump. And I must have been doing one of those bobble, bob and weave numbers because I can remember um, Captain Brown. I can remember to this day, he came up right in my face. And he said, Did he, I you have numbers and, and letters that identify you. And I was Tango Golf uh, Whiskey 7. And he said, Tango Golf Whiskey 7, are you okay? And I looked at him straight in the eyes. And I said, sir, if there are supposed to be two of you, I am just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so they called in the medevac helicopter. And that was my first helicopter ride in the Army. Uh, and took me out to, um, and I had a concussion. I spent the night in the hospital. Uh, the doctor threatened me with a psych eval because I wanted to go back and jump the next day. They made me wait until the following week, and I did my last four jumps. Jose, do you get these uh, uh, these stories at the board meetings? <laughs> well, she she shared them with all of us at some point or another, and uh, they bring back a lot of memories for many of us on the board because we we also went to airborne school and. You know, it's funny how over the years, regardless of what era you were in the military, a lot of these stories just kind of combine and remind us all about similar experiences. So, yeah, I had I had a couple of jumps just like her <laughs> feet <laughs> behind and head. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, and, and and last, Annie, I wanted to get to becoming a pilot uh, for helicopters. How did you get into that? Was that something that, you, you know, it sort of developed over the course of your service? <laughs> uh, that was another happy accident. I had been, I was, um, went from a jump school to, uh, to Fort Bragg, Fort Liberty now, and had been there, uh, was fortunate enough to be working in a battalion headquarters at that point as a battalion legal clerk, uh, and narrated all the ceremonies. I was um, one of the senior enlisted, <laughs> as an E-5, I was one of the senior enlisted women in, in the division, and my leadership suggested that I become an officer. Uh, because I didn't, I was near the end of my enlistment and I didn't have a plan. And, uh, and so I, I, they extended my enlistment so that I could apply uh, for a direct commission in the quartermaster corps. They figured I was a shoe in. Um, the battalion commander was, um, you know, important in the quartermaster corps. They thought for sure that I would get a, um, a direct commission in the quartermaster corps. And so I, I filled out that paperwork. Um, I didn't um, get that. It turned out that the med battalion commander had gotten a copy of my paperwork and he had bring it, brought it to the medical service corps. And so, um, so I instead was commissioned into the medical service corps. And when I was at my officer basic course at Fort Sam Houston, they came in one day um, and they wanted to share our options with us. And they talked about going to jump school. I didn't need that. I'd been, I did jump master school before I left the 82nd. So I had senior jump wings. Then they talked about air assault school. And that was entirely more work than what I wanted to do. I had heard stories about running around with logs on your shoulder. And that wasn't exciting to me. And then they said, well, and then they, they said another option was flight school. And I thought, wow, I can drive a car. Certainly somebody can train me to fly an airplane or a helicopter. So I raised my hand. And uh, there were four other people who raised their hands, uh, but I was the only one who passed the interview, the physical and um, the testing and all that. So I went off to flight school. Oh, incredible. <laughs> I, and 
and I'm sure we could spend even the full hour really here just talking strictly about all of that experience. Um, thank you for sharing all of that. I'd love for our listeners, whenever they come to a, a scuttlebutt and they know, like, oh, we're going to hear about the organization, you know, Leader Transition Institute, uh, you know, but we also like to hear, you know, the president and CEO's story. Like, there's a lot of stories behind your service, um, and I'm sure many, many more. Um, so uh, we will get back to uh, you in just a sec. Uh, Jose, uh, we're going to do our one-on-one like we mentioned, but I would like to ask you the same question is, when did you enlist and why? Yeah, great question, Sean. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I enlisted in 1990. I was uh, just getting out of broadcasting school and learning that uh, broadcasting school without a degree uh, still meant you're going to get coffee for somebody for no price at all. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I can't I, you know, I can't live off of uh, stolen coffee every day uh, from the from the radio station. And so I worked at the radio station for about us uh, about 30 days. And I thought, OK, well, I got to go do something that actually makes me money. Mm-hmm. And uh, similar to Annie, I walked by a recruiting station every day. And so I, I walked in and I said, if you can make me a broadcaster, I'll sign up right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a process. It was a process. Uh, and I know we'll talk in more depth about it in, a, in our future, uh, you know, discussion. But but it was uh, it was a goal. It was a dream. And, you know, the opportunity to work in the field in the Army just was too much to pass up. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity to, you know, to move out of a very challenging environment, uh, the inner city, and go reach for my for my dreams. And I did that. So really positive experience. I joined up in 90 and January of 1991, I was in basic training. Very, very similar to Annie. Um, I was turning left when they told me to turn right. And I was turning right when they told me to turn left. (laughs) I did a whole lot of (laughs) push-ups. Excited to dive into a lot more of that with you, Jose. Um, But let's dive into Leader Transition Institute. Um, Annie, you have this long history, not just in service, but with your family. Um, So there's a a long sort of, you know, storyline of passion here for for helping veterans and being a part of, uh, you know, the military. Uh, But talk to me about how LTI came about. What was it at its inception and why did you decide to start it? Okay, uh, so the interesting thing is actually the program changing focus moving from we to me came before LTI. Uh, I had the I was in 2016. I was at a personal development weekend for myself because I was uh, very focused on um, on improving myself. I had been working with uh, veterans and service members since my husband retired in 2007, doing a lot of uh resume work and and helping them to understand what the what the job process was and and working in the state of Maryland across the state of Maryland to help improve things for service members and veterans. And at this personal development weekend I was challenged to create something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Just my dream. And that weekend I literally sat down and wrote the entire program. Everything that we do today I put down on paper that weekend. And then I got scared and I sat on it and didn't do anything with it. And I am a member of Maxwell Leadership. It's a, a coaching, training, and speaking team uh, led by John Maxwell. And back in 2018, I was in Costa Rica with him and about 250 other coaches at the request of the Costa Rican president to start a uh, transformation in that country. And one day, uh, one of our, one of the, my fellow team members, who was also a veteran and he knew about my ideas, he approached me and he, he looked at me and he said, Annie, 
when are you going to start changing focus? Because I had even named it that weekend when I wrote it in 2016. And I'm sure I must have had a deer in the headlights look when I, um, when I answered him, because I can remember the two words that I said. I said, this summer. And then I flew home to Maryland. And that was a really long plane ride, not because of the length of time, but because I had to search in my soul about what I was going to do. This person was somebody I, re I uh, respected and I had given a deadline and I thought, how am I going to pull this off? I have to do it. So we launched in July of 2016 because I figured out how to do it in a live format. And at that very first session, we had 11 people there and I learned from talking to them that people in uh, first responders needed something similar. People coming out of education, when they retire from that, they needed something similar. And so I thought we need to create, we need to formalize the program in, into a business format of some kind. And I started uh, thinking about, okay, we could have changing focus in various versions. And I found that that name was associated with a divorce program. Hmm. So I couldn't use it. So then I thought, how, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I came up with the name Leader Transition Institute. I checked a whole bunch of places. Nobody else was using that. And so we created that as an umbrella to put changing focus into and everything else that we create in the future. So that's, that's how it came about. We came up with the program and then came up with the organization to take care of it. So uh, what is Changing Focus? Is it, uh, it's a, a, a class, a program that, that a veteran or a spouse could, could take? Yeah, um, and actually we started in the um, in-person in setting, so that was what, what I thought we would be, a traveling roadshow around the United mm. States. Um, but we um, are actually uh, primarily now in the virtual arena. So Changing Focus is 24 hours of training over four days. We uh, we generally start unless we go to an installation where they uh, want us to do it on a different time frame. Uh, we jet, uh, we always start on a Thursday night when we can, and that's what we do in the virtual arena. So on um, the program is designed to fill the gaps left by the Department of Defense mandated program. There's a really good reason for why the Department of Defense mandated transition assistance program does what it does. It fills the needs of the Department of Defense, but it doesn't fill the needs of service members. And can, so, can you explain that a, a bit? I've, I've done previous scuttlebutts about TAPS uh, or TAP. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm interested mm -hmm. to hear sort of where it's insufficient and and just what you just said, like how it's filling the need of the, of the Department of Defense, but not the other way around. So when somebody leaves the military without receiving military retirement income and they can't find a job, regardless of what state they go to, when they can't find a job, they can file for unemployment. But during our time in the military, we never have any unemployment taken out of our check. And the military never puts into any state's unemployment program any money. And so the deal is that each state can go back to the Department of Defense and say, you owe me 20 $5,500 for Johnny, you owe me $3,000 for Mary, you owe me $5,500 for Dick. Mm -hmm. And in 2010, the Department of Defense paid back to the states a billion dollars in unemployment. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money that could go to our nation's defense. Mm -hmm. And there had been various thoughts about a transition program before then, but that's when they got serious about it. 
And so the program is designed to cut down on that amount of money. And how you cut down on um, people receiving unemployment is to get people into jobs. And so the transition assistance program is designed to fill that Department of Defense need mm. to save that money. And so they teach people how to write a resume, kind of. They teach people how to wear a suit. They teach people how to do a job interview. They get them started on LinkedIn and they teach them how to access their VA benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's all important in the job seeking process. But what I learned over my time period of working with veterans, my, my, my own experience with transition, there were no transition programs when I left in 1988. I was an army captain one day and an air force spouse the next, and there was nothing to help me. Um, and when my husband retired in 2007, the, the programs were just getting ramped up and they weren't mandatory. And I had been working with people and what I had come to understand is that what we call in the Department of Defense, a transition assistance program is actually a job change program because the transition is a change is what happens in your head. It's a mental shift. And in the military, we, when we join the military, we're immersed in the military environment and everything that's in our civilian subconscious when we leave, when we enter the military gets replaced, whether that's over two or three years or over 20 or 30 years, that's replaced with a military mindset. And it's a scientific process during basic training and it continues throughout our career. But there's no, there's nothing to change that when we move to the outside there's no switch that you can just flip and say okay civilian mindset now and so that's where i realized that people were struggling when they left active duty or military service of any kind because you don't even have to leave active duty to go through this struggle people who are in the reserves or the national guard our part-time military, they go through the same process too, even though they many of them are not full-timers. There are a fair number who uh, over the last years have been you know, pretty much full-time, but even part-timers have pretty much a military mindset um, at the end of their reserve or National Guard career. And so they come through the program and benefit from it as well. And so that's where we focus. We focus on mindset, helping people to understand change, how hard it is, how, how long it takes. So on that first Thursday night, we spend that time period, about two and a half hours, talking about the neuroscience of change because my personal opinion and, and uh, people who come around me um, agree with me is that when we understand how something works, very often we can deal with it better. Mm -hmm. And so we want to explain to them how their mind is working um, and what's happened to them and what's going to happen to them and give them some strategies moving forward. So we do that on the first night. We come back on Friday um, at 8.30 in the morning, and we spend all day talking about individual purpose and vision, helping them to uh, articulate and uh, for formulate and articulate a purpose statement for themselves. Everybody's used to doing that for the organization, but they've never given a thought to it for themselves. So we help them do that for themselves. And then they create a vision using all the different eight parts of their life. We look at their, uh, we encourage them to look at their, um, their spiritual life, their family life, their personal growth, um, their financial, all the different, we have eight different areas of life. And we act, encourage them to, to create a vision that encompasses that 
and we help them start to create a plan um, to move that forward in the next three to five years. And then we come back, uh, we do so we do that all day on Friday, we come back on Saturday morning and we've learned that painting is a really good metaphor for transition. And so we paint for a couple of hours. Then we talk about the dollars and cents of transition because there are a lot of financial decisions that people have to make when they're leaving active duty. Uh, and in the afternoon, we talk about communication. In the ramp up in the week before we start, everybody does uh, a Maxwell Leadership DISC assessment. We use the DISC personality profile. And on Saturday, we give them a three hour introduction to uh, the results of that which we follow up afterwards. They all receive an individual um, debrief of their personal report. So that's what we do on Saturday. And then we come back on Sunday morning and we talk about purposeful living, a living an intentional life. So we, we do all that. We have optional sessions on Friday and Saturday nights where we talk about advanced networking techniques on LinkedIn and we do individual uh, resume and LinkedIn profile reviews in a group setting so everybody can learn from themselves, for, you know, from each other. So we do all of that. We cram it in. We um, play with Legos. We paint. Uh, we talk. Um, we cry and, uh, and do it all in the virtual arena. And it's free. We encourage people to participate um, with their spouses, but we understand the tyranny of the calendar and family schedules. And so sometimes spouses come on their own. And uh, one of the things um, when I start, when as these veteran programs in the civilian arena started um, popping up in, in the mid uh, 2000s was that everything seemed to be for post 9-11 veterans. And, and what that meant was that I didn't qualify for anything. And I knew that there were some areas where I could, um, could still use some help for myself. And so one of the things that makes us different is any veteran, regardless of their era, they could be out for 20 or 25 years. And we've had them come through when they've been out for 30 years, um, regardless of their type of discharge. Uh, because people were discharged back in the 1990s and um, 80s and 90s for things that they would never be discharged for today. So regardless of discharge, um, they are eligible to come through our program. That's excellent. It, you know, something that really sticks out to me about this program, as opposed to the others that we've highlighted on the Scuttlebutt, is very holistic for you to, for, to dive into sort of spiritually, where do you want to see yourself in, in three years? How do you get there? This, this idea of total vision. Uh, you know, and I love the the mindset training uh, that comes along with this. Uh, Jose, you went through the program, correct? That's correct. Can you speak to your experience, why you decided to to join into it, and what it felt like going through? How you how you found your vision? You know, what it feel like to sort of understand what this mindset change was? Absolutely, yeah. I um I don't re even remember how I stumbled into it. But it was the best stumbling I ever I ever did uh, because I joined up probably because it was a I, I could get away with a free Friday and Saturday I could get my boss to agree to a free Friday and Saturday and I was like well even if the weekend is you know is is a shot weekend and this program doesn't do anything for me I'll figure something out and they said I could paint something so that'll be fun um, never in the world did I know uh, on that Thursday that this four day uh, event would change my life. You know, um, as Annie noted, when you leave the service, you've been conditioned. In my case, I was institutionalized. I mean, 30 years at this point, I'm like the guy in, uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption, you know, that leaves, 
you know, that leaves the uh, the jail and doesn't know how to act in the civilian world. You just didn't have to crawl through the mile of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, the, the thing is, of all the things that I really loved about the program, if I had to encapsulate it into one sentence, the program gave me permission to be me again hmm. and to figure out who I was. The word I and me is very uncomfortable for service members. We use, you know, us, we, and for the first time, it was okay to say I and me and to focus on my needs and the needs of my family. And um, and that made such a huge, dif huge difference because all of a sudden, you know, I was focusing on something I hadn't focused on for all those years, and that was my needs first. And um, and again, you know, it, the program just gives you that permission to begin to explore who you are. And so, I, you know, I was very thankful and it just started the right trajectory for me and led me to where I am today. How soon after you transitioned out of the military did you jump into uh, changing focus? Oh, goodness. I, I might have still been in uniform. I, uh, I think I was. Yeah, I was still in uniform. And so it was perfect. I was just, I had just gone through, uh, you know, the transition assistance program. And just as Annie said, I mean, I'm a recipient of uh, pretty close to the newest version. I think there might've been a little bit of upgrade since I left three years ago, but I was a recipient of the previous. And I, I had enough people around me, smart people around me to tell me, Jose, it's drinking through a fire hose. They're just going to give you you know, the, this bunch of information, you're not even going to know what to do with it half the time because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so uh, as I went through the program, I I took what I could. I brought my wife with me. She asked all the right questions. I just asked, how do I get a job? And that was that. And so she asked all the really deep questions that we really needed to know, you know, the questions about, you know, how do we deal with finances and life insurance and, you know, VA healthcare and TRICARE and, you know, where are we going to live and what are you going to do and what am I going to do, you know, and how are our children going to be impacted by this transition? Because, you know, military families transition as a whole, you know, we're so focused on the service yeah. member, but the truth is sometimes, you know, the service member gets out and they go right to a job sometimes. And so they can shelter themselves from the reality of having left the service, but the family members live it every second of every day. And they don't always have the, the structure or the support system, especially when they leave the army or the service, I should say, and step away, you know, to a distant environment, maybe back home, wherever they might be. And there's no military installation or services to support them. So, um, again, I, I went through the program. Um, I, I meandered into it and I loved it. I, you know, I just really became passionate about what Annie and her team were doing. Um, and, and it really made complete sense to me how learning to say I and me, learning to take that in and figure out the things that mattered most to me. You know, I, I kind of had to go back to 19 year old me and be like, hey, what's going on? You know, and reintroduce myself because the last time I was a me, I was 19. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I want to um, follow on that because that Jose is very rare because he actually went to a job after he graduated from high school. Most people in the military, I, I would go out on a limb and say 90% or more people in the military have never lived in the civilian world as an adult. Mm -hmm. 
And so that not only are they leaving the military, they're having to adult in the civilian world for their first time. And you know um, what that's like, you know? <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, and so, and the other thing I wanna say is we encourage people to come through the program when they're 24 months out from leaving active duty. We want we um, want to, if we can, be the, their first part of their transition to help get them on that road. And one of the other things that makes us different besides what we do is we don't let go of somebody. We're not a one and done program. We stay connected with mm -hmm. more learning opportunities, with mentoring. Uh, and so uh, we can guide people uh, through through the rest of their transition. And we're not the, you know, we're not the only program out there. We have a lot of people who come through Changing Focus who go on and participate in many of the other programs. And that's great because there are good things from all the, the programs. They they fill everybody's gaps. I can always tell when I'm gonna have good guests whenever I uh, have questions and you're answering all of them, like right down the list. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> all right, I was gonna ask that. Check that off, I'm gonna check that one off. Um, Cause I was gonna ask about falling back on changing focus. Like how far out, if you two, three years out from taking, you know, participating, mm -hmm. you know, and you feel a little lost again, can you retake the program or can you reconnect and say, hey, I, you know, I just sort of read a refresher and that's great that you're still connecting and still there. Yes, we, um, two things. Number one, anybody can come back and participate in a cohort again, if they would like to, to get a tune-up. We've done, um, recently this spring, we actually had a standalone focus on your purpose. Uh, that's our Friday day. We had a standalone tune-up of that for people who had participated before who wanted to, to focus on that area. And every month on the first Tuesday night of every month, we have a gathering of our alums. Mm. And so we, they, uh, the ones who have had successes are sharing their successes. Somebody needs help, they ask for help and we talk about it and uh, we, we help to move them forward and, and gather together. So it's really important to stay connected. And I wanna highlight, you said this Changing Focus is free? Yes. It's, is it just free for veterans and their spouses, reservist uh, guard, or is it is it free across the board? It's free for everybody who's eligible for it. Okay. Nobody pays for it. That's awesome. Um, and you've had uh, over over 300 participants across 33 states, eight countries, four continents. Uh, you said virtual. Do you do any in-person still? We do. Um, during COVID, uh, Special Operations Command brought us to uh, Fort Liberty a couple of times, and we did it in person uh, there. What we have learned it through those experiences and then think my thinking back through the first five that we did that were in person is that when people are in the same room with each other they don't think in themselves as well they don't go as deep within themselves we notice that in their comments and in the discussion and even if they know each other just being in their own Zoom box, that virtual environment, somehow it breaks them down enough that they can really do the deep work that they need to do within themselves. And so we prefer to be in the virtual arena, but we are happy if somebody will pay for us to come and do it um, in person, we're, we're happy to go somewhere. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I have, I have to say though, is we, we were, I hate to say anybody was a beneficiary of COVID, but we were a beneficiary of COVID having to move into the virtual arena because it's, uh, we cut our costs in the virtual arena by 60%. Mm. 
it's very expensive to do this kind of a thing in person. So that's, you know, we, we won't um, pay to go to bring the program someplace anymore. We have to have somebody sponsor us and pay for everything because that's not a good um, use of our resources. The other thing about the virtual arena that we learned uh, is that we are serving people in places that we would never get because it's very expensive. We have to go to places where there are big concentrations of people um, ready to leave the military. And so um, that limits where we would go. But we have had uh, cohorts where we've had somebody in Korea or Japan and somebody in Germany, and then people spread across the United States at the same time. Uh, and so to be able to touch people in all who need us in all those places. And I will say we, you know, we're having our fifth birthday celebration this Sunday, the 16th. And we uh, ordered some special LTI cookies that I am sending out to everybody who registers until they run out. And so this weekend I sent the overseas cookies. There's a military service member who works in the American embassy in Cairo, Egypt, who registered and I sent them a cookie. And so, you know, being in the virtual arena means we're touching people who need us everywhere. And I think that's really critical. That also is the answer to the question. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't. They can they can take no. part in this. So the program, anybody can take this and everybody's going to get something from it. Yeah, that's the most amazing thing. When I when I first started it, I, I wasn't quite sure how what was going to work, you know, how this was going to happen. But we have um, fashioned it and created it in, um, in an interactive way. Um, and we're really conscious, um, um, my fellow facilitators and I, of drawing everybody into the conversation. If somebody is too quiet, we will ask them a pointed question directed towards them. Um, and it's very interesting how after, uh, by the middle of uh, Friday, people are telling each other things that they have never told anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so uh, as what Jose alluded to um, earlier is that across the services and across the ranks, we have some very common experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that's what brings us together and, and, and makes it all work. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're an E5 or an O6, everybody as they are leaving the military is thinking the same thing. How am I going to do this? Who am I? I, I, I have, I'm scared um, and I feel like I'm alone. And that's to me was the biggest surprise uh, is that uh, people have said to me afterwards um, that they were happy to find out that they weren't alone. That's so key. That's so, um, and to find your your new purpose. We've talked about it a lot on the scuttlebutt of, of when you leave, when you transition out of the military, one of the reasons why a lot of servicemen and women feel lost is, is they they just haven't found that new purpose, that new passion, or felt like they belong somewhere. Um, so to provide that space um, and and not just just for a weekend. You know, this is a, this is a new family that you are developing. This is a new is a new network um, that are there to care for you and there to see you through and and make sure that you land on your feet. Uh, that's so big, and it's so uh, heartwarming to hear the passion that you have for it. Thank you. Uh, so, I I am not a veteran, but you know, role play. If I'm a veteran, I'm like I'm going through that transition. 
uh, how do I learn about LTI? Who do I contact? What website do I go to? Who do I email? How, what's what's the process? So um, pretty much uh, the people find out about us by word of mouth. <laughs> Just like bringing changing focus in person uh, places is expensive, so is uh, advertising. And so we use social media. LinkedIn is our, our biggest platform uh, to reach people. And then we have uh, our alumni. Most of them are on LinkedIn and they are our raving fans and encourage their friends. Uh, so we have a website. It's called leadertransitioninstitute.org. And you have to put the www in front of it sometimes and sometimes you don't. Um, but I can um, give you a link uh, that to go to. It's a bit.ly link. It's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash C-F for changing focus. And then there's a hyphen and the word registration. So it's bit.ly with a dot between the T and the L and then C-F Charlie Foxtrot hyphen registration. Ooh, he gave me the Charlie Foxtrot. Nice. <laughs> we will have so that. There, there's an application form um, that we um, have there and they fill that out. Tell us what cohort they want to come to. Mm -hmm. And then after they've um, filled that out, they get a link to our calendar and they sign up for what is called a changing focus info session. And it's a 15 minute telephone chat uh, with people from who have signed up for all our different cohorts. And we talk about what... Um, what we uh, what our expectations are of them when they participate and we expect that, that they're going to show up we expect that they'll have their cameras on um and that they will participate because that's how they get the most out of it um and so we then we answer any questions that they have and after they've um, gone through one of those sessions then we uh send them what we call the changing focus commitment form. And it um, goes over all of those things. They initial them, they sign uh, and send it back. And then they um, are officially in a cohort. And we, we use that process because after our first 18 months in the virtual setting, we realized that we had sent out 500 boxes and we only had half as many alums. And when I would call people to say, hey, you didn't show up for your cohort. Can we move you into a different cohort? I would sometimes have people tell me that they had thrown their box out. Hmm. And I will tell you that really hurt my heart because I started this program with my own money and with people's donations. And to hear that they had thrown out what we had sent them, we send about $25 to $30 worth of materials to them. We send them everything they need. Um, and so that was uh, that really hurt my heart. And so we decided that people needed to have some skin in the game. And so we set up a $35 deposit with the idea that when people finished the program, we would send their money back right away. Mm -hmm. So we tried that. Um, and it was reasonably successful, um, but it, we were also doing it at the same time that we were coming out of COVID and people weren't as excited about doing virtual things anymore. So I have a hard time understanding whether it was the deposit that cut down on participation or whether it was the coming out of COVID that cut down on participation. I tend to think that it wasn't the $35 deposit because when inflation started ramping up, we had a deposit waiver program that if you got one of um, our alums to recommend you, that we would waive your deposit. Um, and only two people ever took advantage 
of that program. And then when we told people on Sunday morning that that as soon as we were off that I would refund their deposits, about 75% of people said, no, keep my money um, because I got much more value than I ever could have imagined. So don't waste your time sending back the $35. Um, and so at any rate, this year we have gone to this new application process um, and we are um, what's happened is that people are showing up for their cohorts Wonderful. 99%. So we'll make sure to have the uh, link to register and links to your website and information all here in the description. So if you're listening to this podcast, check the description of the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, just scroll down. You'll see it down there. Uh, best way to get involved um, with uh, Leadership Transition Institute. And, and do you accept donations? Is there a way for somebody to just support your mission? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we're grateful for everybody who supports us. Um, and we're that's one thing. We are on the uh, PayPal Giving Fund. Uh, we can people can search at PayPal Giving Fund uh, to to donate to us. Uh, and then at the bottom of the registration page for Changing Focus, there's a link. We haven't been um, as proactive in getting that donation link out as we should have. So those are the two places. And not stopping short of just helping individuals, you also help out uh, organizations as well. Can you talk a bit about that as we, you know, sort of wrapping up our time here? Yeah. So um, one of the challenges of being a 501c3 is actually raising the money. It's really uh, time consuming to ask people for donations. And there's a lot of paperwork to do across the 50 states for that. And so we have developed a corporate training arm. And that's how we um create the bulk of our revenue to provide the program. And so we work with uh, civilian uh, corporate and government organizations to provide communications and leadership training to their emerging leaders. And um, that's how we uh, create the, the revenue now for Changing Focus, the prime part of it. Jose, if uh, you had any advice for somebody signing up for Changing Focus, uh, what would that be? My advice would be to come in with an open mind and recognize that, you know, by the end of it, there will be significant changes, significant positive changes. You won't know what they are on day one, but you will know what they are on day four and beyond. And let me tell you, there's so much positivity and so much benefit that sometimes it does take some time to unpack. It's all there. It's like little gifts. They just kind of open up over time as you really begin to digest so much that you learn during those four days and begin to put it in practice. And that's what this program is all about to me, is that it, while it does focus on the inside and how we see ourselves and the world around us and what we want to do and how we want to do it uh, to, to fill ourselves, uh, there, it's, it's really active. It's really uh, palpable in that as we begin the process of searching for jobs or any of the life decisions we have to make, I find myself referencing, even three years later, referencing the lessons I learned from Annie and the team. Be like, oh my gosh, this is that moment. This is where I'm I'm doing the thing that I learned, you know, three years ago. <laughs> and so th there is not a time frame where this won't be helpful to people. And I just strongly encourage the listeners to take a chance on this because again, the one thing that you're not going to get from many programs is how to fulfill yourself, your goals, and how to prepare yourself for life after the military as an I and me, and uh, and be successful for you and your family, the people who've loved you and been there for you as you you know lived your crazy army life or crazy military life. Uh, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to them to do right by them and right by yourself. And 
reaching your goals. So definitely encourage people to to sign up. And you know, I can't speak highly enough about the program. And that's something that's uh, sort of my follow up question here is, you know, the, the LTI helps you with so many different things. So we talked a bit about, you know, mostly about gaining employment. How do you find that new focus, that new passion? But there's this this the family aspect of this. And and Jose, can you speak to how changing focus sort of helped your family dynamic out? Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, one of the things that happened to me is I started focusing so much on the job hunt that as I noted earlier, I started to forget that my family and I were going through this together and that they had concerns, fears, just like I did. Uh, but I was just so focused on this getting a job thing that I didn't stop to think about those other concerns. Mm -hmm. And I probably didn't do the best job at asking my wife all the right questions and making sure that she was part of the, an active part of this process. I should have. And it wasn't until I took the program that I was able to recognize in myself that, you know, this was a team effort for my wife and I. Uh, we have grown children, but even they were impacted because they spent my entire life. They, you know, I was a, I was a sergeant, sergeant major, you know, throughout my whole career. And so, you know, that's that's the life they knew dad in uniform. And so we all had to figure some things out. But I'll tell you, you know, it, it was so important to go through the program and learn these lessons because I even learned the communication skills that I needed so that I could go back to my wife and, you know, ask the kinds of questions that would lead her to share some of those fears so that we could work through them together. And, you know, that made us stronger. And I mean, how many programs are out there that can not only prep you for life after the military success, but heck, can give you some, you know, some relationship advice along the way. It's a win. Thank you, Jose. And uh, Annie, uh, I'd love to give you the final words here. You know, what what is your sort of your shout out to uh, veterans transitioning out of the military? Uh, you know, come join us. Uh, you know, thank you so much for for your time today. What I what I would say to everybody is that you have given all of yourself and more to the military. This is your time going forward. And the best thing that you can do is to get started on the right track to find the I and me, mm -hmm. as Jose said. And we are the organization that does that. We serve, there are some organizations who do some similar things, but they do them for the SEALs. They do them for the Army Special Ops Forces. They do them for the Navy Special Ops Force. We serve across all of the services, all of the ranks, regardless of what you did in the military. Come and let us work with you because you owe it to yourself. I want to thank you both for your time today, for spending time chatting about your, your individual service. Uh, again, Jose, we're going to have you back on the scuttlebutt to dive more into that. Annie, I know we just scratched the surface. Would would love to follow up with you again to hear more about it. Uh, to our listeners, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org if you have any questions or thoughts. Or if you want to reach out to LTI and you just like to have a warm handoff, I'm happy to do that. Um, you know, always excited to hear from our listeners. And if you have any ideas for future scuttlebutts, please send them my way. Um, to you both, Jose, Annie been a pleasure and an honor today. Um, I hope to follow up with you and see you again on a future episode of Scuttlebutt. Uh, and I hope you both have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for having us, Sean. I really appreciate it.
Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health for your support.